We now return to Beyond Synth. Hey there, welcome to Beyond Synth. This is episode 11. My name is Andy Last. This is the podcast where I interview cool people who make cool music, or at least that is the tagline on the website. Natural fact, I talk to a lot of artists and producers who make uh, really cool synthwave, new retro music, um, just a lot of really talented people. And one of those super talented people is on the show today. His name is Zach Robinson, aka, well, I'll let him explain it. I'm here today. Okay, so this is my first question then. I'll ask you a question before I intro you. I know what the question's going to be. How do you say it? How do you say it? D-A-D. You say it D-A-D. D-A-D. It's not dad. It's, it's not D-A-D. dad. There you okay. go. Putting that out there in the universe, it's D-A-D. I am here today with D-A-D, a.k.a. Zach Robinson. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hi. <laughs> We've already had a full conversation before this has started, so that was a manufactured hello. <laughs> so how did you come up with the DAD? What's what's the deal? Dude, I don't, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember. My friend uh, said, literally, it was like, you should have a project called DAD, and I swear <laughs> to God, that was it. I swear, like, that it has no meaning. It is what it is, and I, when I first started making music, I, like, named it that, and then I, you know, I released stuff, and it stuck, so... That's it. And I mean, there was a time when I started going by Day After Discovery because I wanted to... DAD is the most ungoogleable thing in the entire world. Right. And it was hurting for a little bit. And I think it's okay now. I'm actually... You can get my Bandcamp when you type in DAD, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, uh, you know, maybe I'll keep the initials and have it stand for something, Day After Discovery. And I did that for about six months. And then I was like, no, fuck this. Uh, I'll just go back to DAD. <laughs> maybe you should have like a, a competition with people who listen to your music to come up with. Uh... That'd be cool. Well, if people have ideas, I mean, yeah, you know, it's up to the uh, the listener what it stands for. How about that? You can create your own adventure. <laughs> and as long as they make sure that when they type into Google, it's D slash A slash D. D forward slash A forward slash D. And I know that iTunes, uh, when the construct came out, they had an issue with that. And uh, they... Put my there is another DAD in the mm-hmm. world, Disneyland After Dark, which is a Danish hair metal band, and my <laughs> album was under their discography for about a month. Nice, yeah. <laughs> as D as D dash A dash D. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but it's all cleared up now. Like that's right. Well, it used to be, and my name used to be D dot A dot D, and then I changed it to the forward slashes. It's all cleared up now. You can get it on <laughs> iTunes. I don't know if it's if it's even searchable on iTunes, but you can find it. If you find it, you can get it. I love how many e- evolutions just a DAD can have over a couple I know. Of I know. <laughs> I was looking at your band camp. Mm-hmm. You released an album, Super Motives, in like 2009. Yeah. So you were kind of ahead of the curve a little bit. I mean, as far as this scene is concerned. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that release. I was 19 when I released that. I think I may have been 20, but I wrote it when I was 18 and 19, and I was a freshman in the dorms at Northwestern University. And, uh, you know, MySpace was still a thing. And I was kind of, you know, experimenting with the. I, I studied music composition at school, and, and I was experimenting with new things that I wanted to, to try out. And I was super into 
the Valerie Collective and Kavinsky and, you know, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. and I remember cruising MySpace and, like, finding all that stuff, like Palm Highway Chase and Act Razor and Laserhawk and stuff like that. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I want to try to take a stab at this. And I ended up writing Miami Thunder, which is the opener on Supermotives. That was the first song I ever wrote. I kind of like laid low on it for about six months and then I was like you know I want to actually like make this a project and I pushed through it and then I released yeah I released Supermotives just on my own I had been playing shows in LA that summer kind of promoting my music then and I had a very supportive friend group and and it a lot of people were downloading it. It was nice. It was just people were supporting it. It was great. Cool, and cool. It was for free. From there, it just kind of got way bigger than I ever thought it would. And, you know, now I'm I'm here, I guess, talking to you. <laughs> I always knew that I wanted to, like, create something that kind of would be in, like, this niche group. Yeah. And I think I succeeded, and I'm really happy about that. You know, I was never looking for DAD to be, like, top 40 mainstream stuff. But I'm sure and everyone would agree that it's just uh, we're creating something that we that we enjoy listening to. And, mm-hmm. you know, we love that feel, and we love the sound and the aesthetic. So, I mean, I guess it was ahead of the game, but I... You know, there were a lot of people before me, I feel. You know, I was in London and someone was telling me, oh, you're kind of like second wave of like <laughs> synth wave, uh, dream wave or whatever. And I was like, wait, what? Are, wait, what are these waves? And yeah. then he explained it to me and I was like, that makes so much sense. Like mm. first wave was like Valerie and uh, the Master of the Universe compilation. Did you ever listen to those? The Motu compilations? No, um, no, I haven't. Who put them together? Um, Sakura Knight. It was okay. like, these are like old MySpace names. It was very electro uh, influence, very dancey. You know what I mean? Like it yeah, wasn't yeah. as, and then the second wave was kind of the MySpace days where it was way more about the 80s aesthetic and less about the dancing. And then I guess you have like the next wave, which is kind of current, maybe post drive. I'm sort of late to the game. I mean, I got to stop saying this because I, I, I say this every time I, I talk to everybody. I'm like, you can't be late to the game 80 times. But yeah. uh, like I only discovered the scene, you know, recently, like within like the last like six months. So I was yeah. never aware that there was this thing floating around during the, you know, like the MySpace days. So right. to me, you know, a lot of the people I've been talking to, Drive was, you know, one of the, the big influences exactly. that sort of exactly. kicked them into it. Whereas with you, I guess in 2009, Drive wasn't even around. It was not. But you can imagine how hard I freaked out when I heard that Electric Youth was going to be on the Drive in college. We're going to be on the Drive soundtrack. I was like, I remember my cousin said to me, he goes, and a lot of people always do this. They always say, dude, you're going to love this soundtrack. It's so 80s. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure it's like kind of synthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then yeah. my cousin, I remember him sending that to me. And he goes, dude, you're, you are going to freak out when you see this movie. And yeah. I remember sitting there and just like, 
real human being coming on and and I was like I cannot believe that that this is actually happening in a movie with Ryan Gosling that's amazing yeah 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 I mean it did a lot for that for that scene absolutely do you have like a favorite track that you that you did for on Supermotives? Um, is that a terrible question? I think the look of being old is is my favorite. Okay, that one came out of not really trying to mimic anything, or I think that's the first song I developed as like my own sound, and I had like this guitar solo that I was trying to develop that sound, and mm-hmm. you know, it's not blatantly eighties. It doesn't have like a blatantly eighties title. It's it's yeah. um, <laughs> Pitchfork actually picked that up. Okay, in two thousand ten, like nine months after Supermotives, Pitchfork picked that up. That was great. And that actually did a lot for me, which was really cool. But I think that that's, yeah, that's probably my favorite track on that album. I still play that live too. On your band camp, there's like a four-year gap that happens. Yeah, you've yeah. got so you've got super motives, and then four years, and then the construct. So what what was going on in that time? I understand that's a loaded question. Yeah, no, I mean I was in school, and I was really really busy with a lot of other musical projects. I, I was in a band um, in Chicago, still still in the band, but we're kind of in a long distance relationship because I'm based in LA and they're in Chicago still. Mm-hmm. But I was in a band that we were doing a lot of stuff together. And we released a couple albums and, and I was doing my own composition. So that's part of it. And then another part of it was I have a lot of issues with releasing material. And I think a lot of artists could agree that like you work on something a lot and then you listen to it 2000 times and then you say, I never want this to see the light of day. And that just happened to <laughs> such an extent where I was like, you know, I actually think I'm going to hang DAD up on the whatever, what, hang the towel. What, what is this? Throw the towel. I don't know. You're going to do something with, you're going to do something <laughs> with a towel is the case. I'm doing something yeah. <laughs> with a towel, something with a towel i didn't think i was going to release anything again and i released a couple songs under day after discovery which was intersphere laser games and sky high and that ended up on the construct but other than that i didn't release anything i played a couple shows live 
But, you know, I was kind of content with not releasing anything for a long time. And then last summer, I was just like, you know what? I have all this stuff and I'm just going to finish it and release it. And and I will say, like, I would not have released it if I wasn't getting support from the community that, you know, is probably listening to this. Right. So thank you for that, because it was really humbling and meant so much to me that people actually emailed me and said, you know, when's the new album coming out? And and I had been a part of Rasa Corsa Records, too, for four years, and I hadn't released anything with them. <laughs> so they were always bugging. They were like, oh, dude, you know, when are you releasing something? I was like, uh, I don't know. And then I think they just gave up. And then finally I emailed Mike, and I was like, dude, I got it. I finally got something. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about your live shows. So my live show is kind of like a one-man band, essentially. I play everything live. A lot of people think I DJ. Um mm-hmm. And they'll bill me as a DJ, and that's not correct. Yeah. So what I do is I have, um, I kind of like Rick Wakeman it. I have like several keyboards like at different <laughs> areas, and I'm and I have my my Roland to my left, and I play with my left hand. Then I have my MIDI keyboard in front of me, and I'm running live versions of my tracks where I take out melodies or guitar lines. I do all the guitar stuff live, um, but I'm constantly changing patches and sw- and taking uh, putting the guitar on and off modifying my delay pedals and things like that and sometimes i have um a singer if it calls for it right um but it's it's a very interactive show i dance a lot <laughs> for the past three shows i've done i've been wearing these suit jackets and i mm. changed the suit they're my uncle manny from florida's unironic pastel shoulder padded suit jackets amazing it's teal and banana yellow and uh and like a and like a red, like a dark red, and mm-hmm. I change those throughout the set. So it's it's fun. I love doing it. How do you keep up the energy, man? That sounds fucking wild. It's pure adrenaline. Um, it's just like by the time I'm done, my back is killing me, <laughs> yeah. and I'm really out of breath. But it's you know I can do it for 35 minutes, and I can just do that. And I've been playing live um, in band since I was 14. So I'm just and I was always I always loved being on stage and running around and interacting so it's always been that's always been like a really important part to me about dad to keep that up you're pulling elements out when you're live performing do you ever do that kind of um who's the dude reggie watts kind of thing you know like where you, where you like play a little loop but then like it continues to go yeah while you go it's to the not other- as it's it's more set than that it's more definitive like i i'm literally playing the songs through as if there was a band behind me playing with me Right. Um, it's not really improvised like that. I don't have. Well, sorry. I mean, I, I, <laughs> maybe Reggie Watts was a bad example, but like oh, okay. he's, you know, you know that he's got the ah, fuck. What do you call it? Like the the thing that records like the four channels, and then like oh yeah, no, it's not it, like that. It's not it's not live looping. It's not it's not anything like that. It's literally like my songs, and I'm just playing the melodies on my keyboards or on the guitar. I'm doing a, the the live solo over you know the song instead of like the solo and look of being old. Like if you if you played my live version of look of being old you would just hear like there'd be no guitar solo unless you heard me playing it live okay 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 yeah what inspired you to sort of do that as opposed to say getting bandmates i think a lot of it was just practical reasons like Mm -hmm. it's easier for me to to just figure it out on my own Mm -hmm. i also have a very specific idea of what i want it to be live um and i think like if i had a drummer i would want the drummer to have triggers and i would need to find people who are who are talented enough to do it, which I know I have friends that would love to do it and they are totally capable of doing it. And a lot of it is just me not 
getting my shit together and and actually trying it out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm just, I I just am kind of lazy with it, to be honest. Like, it's a lot of work to even be in a band. It sounds like what you described is the opposite of lazy. (laughs) The idea. Uh, I know. Well, all these keyboards and guitars and you're doing it all yourself. I know, I know. I guess, but, you know, but (laughs) at least I, at least I have control everything. I choose my band practice. I choose that. And, and, you know, maybe I just, maybe lazy is the wrong word. I just, I just don't want to deal with with all the other stuff that comes with it right now. It totally makes sense. That's what DAD is, and then you're right. you're fine to play with other people, like in other bands, but as far as like DAD is concerned, it is very much your thing. I would totally be down to have a band. Seriously, one day. It should happen. And I've talked to friends about it, and they're so down too, but I just... I need to actually just get us together and do it, and that'll be it. And it'll be so fun and so rad. And I know that once I do that, I will never be able to go back to playing by myself, ever. So if you did form a band, would you all wear the three jackets just at the that same would time? That would be amazing. <laughs> That'd be so good. Yes. Yes. What is The Earth is a Man? Okay, so that's my band in Chicago. Completely different than DAD. It's instrumental post-rock, math rock, a lot of um, guitar tapping, kind of cinematic in a way. Okay. Like we, we do a lot of build-ups and come-downs and we used to say experimental in form but accessible in melody. <laughs> that's like the that's like the pretentious interview way to say it. Yeah. Um, but that's but that it makes sense. Like we we have hummable melodies, but it's not necessarily in the the order of like a pop song. I guess you could say. Explain to me math rock. Math rock, which we're we're not. We're kind of math rock. Math rock, I think, has two type of things that define it. One is odd time signatures, like hence math, and it just takes some calculating. And you can even argue that, like, I don't know if you listen, like, like progressive rock or progressive metal, like that's you know, math rock is a is in the same realm as that because it's it's nerdy. It's kind of like you know these music nerds, like, oh, let's do something in eleven eight that switches to three four mid phrase. Mm-hmm. So there's that kind of thing, which Earth as a Man doesn't really do, but we do have. The other defining math rock aesthetic, which is which is kind of clean guitars, tapping, intricate melodies that are kind of like interwoven between the guitar tapping things that are happening. It's not super heavy. Sometimes it's heavy. Sometimes it, it gets like Fall of Troy. I don't know if you've ever listened to Fall of Troy. They're kind of like a heavier math rock, hardcore band. Yeah, that's that's what that's what I would say math rock is. What I just explained. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's always hard, man. It's hard to... I, I love just, subgenres. I love subgenres, but it's right. always hard for me to explain them. Well, it's just fun to just listen to somebody try. Yeah. <laughs> all the subgenres that, that DAD and that all the other artists are, like, put into, like, I love that stuff, and I always, you know, you always hear people say, like, you know, just, just call it music, man. Just call it electronic music, or just call it rock and roll. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. But I love, I love that, that you're able to define some, like, weird term to describe a piece of music. There's something really amazing about finding out what it is that you truly like, and then it turns out there is this crazy subgenre for it that you can then go seek out other stuff. Exactly, exactly. That's the most fun. It's just like, oh, it turns out I really like, you know, electro mumble jazz or whatever. Right, and then it turns right. Out, oh, yeah, like, for sure, and that's a yeah. great genre. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's not a real genre, is it? I'm sure, you know, I always add, but you know, you know what, man, it probably is. Totally is. Maybe <laughs> it might be a different name, but what did you call it? Electro mumble jazz? Yeah. <laughs> um, I might be able to find, I'm going to email you something and maybe you can put it as an addendum. I'll find something. <laughs> I saw the Earth is a Man links, 
And then I saw that you did sort of some weird kind of double album thing, but like one of them had like Tim Heidecker was involved. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what's the story with that? It was so crazy. So uh, Tim Heidecker was on Twitter and was like, I'm in Chicago looking for a studio. Does anyone, any band have a studio for me to record in tomorrow? And my bandmate Max uh, just tweeted at him and was like, we do, we have a basement. And he tweeted back. I remember he said like, how do I know you guys aren't loons? Mm-hmm. And uh, we have some mutual friends. So we had some people on Twitter vouch for us. And he was like, all right, well, I'm coming over. So he came over and we hung out for about eight hours and recorded this Bob Dylan song. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was one day and it was super fun. He's the nicest dude. And um, yeah, that was that. <laughs> it's really like that. That was it. The magic of Twitter. It's amazing to me that no one lives in LA. I'm in LA and I'm always I always want to play shows with with a bunch of these kind of artists and it's hard for me to find them. Well, everybody everybody's scattered all over the universe, man. It's I like know, it's crazy. <laughs> there's a bunch of dudes in England. Yeah. And I think some of them can get together. And I actually saw a funny picture on Sunglasses Kids oh, God, Facebook yeah. of <laughs> you and him. <laughs> I teased him about that picture, but not because of you, but because of him. Oh, man. We're both teasable. Well, no, because in that particular photo, he looks like a vampire. <laughs> and you look, for some reason, very, very young in that photo. I know, man. I look like a, I had just gotten off stage. I was playing the Future Cop, and yeah. I just got off stage, and I was sweaty and red and yeah. probably a little drunk. Yeah. And I just get super rosy, and I, there's just a silly picture. So you just look like this... <laughs> wide-eyed kind of naive <laughs> naive kid who's about to be like taken in and murdered by this vampire and this is like the last photo of you ever taken <laughs> and then when they like show that photo to the cops later like you can't even see sunglasses kid anymore because like he was a vampire so his image like faded away right right uh, I, yeah. I created a whole story behind this thing i already ran it past him but well, i'm <laughs> glad because i looked at that picture once and i was like get it away from me forever but i'm glad that it <laughs> but i'm glad that it uh you know you were able to make some fan fiction out of it what <laughs> What's it, so you were playing with Future Cop? Like, how did that work out? Uh, I don't remember. They, I was talking to, I think it was after Pitchfork. I think it could have been the post Pitchfork thing. And like, Mans had emailed me. And of course, oh, it could have even been a MySpace message. I don't remember. But he emailed me and I was like, did Future Cop just, e- what? I like couldn't believe it. Cause they're one of the groups that I listened to, you know, when I was still developing DAD, like before DAD. I was 18 listening to Future Cop. And he messaged me and he said, do you want to do a song together? And that was my first collaboration, I think. And I worked on a song called Far Away with them. Right. And then I was, I actually coincidentally, a month after they had originally contacted me, I was living in London. I was studying in London for four months. So I played guitar with them and we hung out and just developed that relationship. And now we, I was just in London uh, in July and I, they happened to be playing a show. So I, so I joined them and 
it's a lot of fun to have that, you know, network out in, in London. And yeah, I got to meet a bunch of people in the synthetics group at the show and Sunglasses Kid. It was so, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. It was really, really cool to like meet everyone from that community. What were you studying out there? I mean, it was through uh, Northwestern, um, so which is in Chicago. And I just, my junior year, fall quarter, I went uh, over to London for a couple months just to study abroad. And I was doing music out there as well. And I, I played a couple DED shows and uh, played with Future Cop. And, but yeah, it was all kind of part of the, my like university's program, I guess, my overall composition curriculum. Tell me about The Construct. The Construct is my album. Which I will uh, say before, I will interrupt you and say, this album fucking kicks ass. And I just... Oh, thank you, dude. I just went and I was listening. I mean, I'm trying to be as good as I can about listening to everybody's stuff before I talk to them. Uh-huh. And so I, I had listened to it before a while ago. Like, I had it bookmarked. Uh-huh. And then things are starting to change as I start to, like, meet people in the scene. And then, like, I forget, like, and then their names, their real names, or then their band names and trying to yeah, figure yeah. out who the hell everybody is. So I had listened to it a long time ago, and then I finally revisited it again, like, last week. Mm-hmm. And it's like a... It's a really solid album, man. Like it's Thanks, it's dude. it's got these kick-ass instrumentals. There's like cinematic stuff. There's upbeat stuff. Like it's got like everything. Like there's so yeah. it, it hits so many different uh, kind of moods and stuff. That's exactly what I was going for, and I think that I wanted it to be a journey. That sounds so stupid, but I wanted <laughs> it to be. But I wanted it to be like you know you start off with this with a more cinematic track with farthest reaches. originally called the farthest reaches and when you looked it up in the finder like if you download the album and then it came up in your finder on a mac it would say oh one the fart dot 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 oh and then i had a couple of discussions but i was like i'm just gonna change it like yeah. i don't even and it may not have ever been an issue but i just like yeah. didn't ever want to deal with that <laughs> 
So, but yeah, to start out the album with that and then to kind of have these different, these different soundscapes and different aesthetics and environments, um, that's like what I, what I wanted And it. And it, you know, a lot of it, I was a little worried because some of those songs, like Backbone of the Night, I wrote in 2010 and that was going to be on a Rosso Corsa compilation demo, which never was released. But I was afraid that like the stuff that I had written a long time ago was not going to work with the stuff that I was writing now right. but it ended up working and I'm, re- I'm really happy about that yeah it was my first time doing vocals as well which was a blast yeah it was a lot of fun I'm really happy that I ended up forcing myself to release it who's the singer on that love will make you stay track her name is Sherea McHale and she is a bartender at one of my favorite bars in LA where she's a server and I do karaoke at this bar every Thursday mm-hmm. and we ended up talking one night and she told me she sang and I listened to her music I was like I've been looking for a vocalist and my friend Charlie who co-produced who's USA Gold who co-produced the uh track with me you know had sent we had been working on this track and I was like this is this is perfect like she can totally do this and she ended up uh coming into the studio that I I work at during my my full-time job and she sang it was great and it was so much fun it blew my mind and you know it's interesting because she actually doesn't I think her voice is is not that 80s it's a little more Stevie Nicks 70s-ish, mm. but it works really well. Like, it's it's not the kind of voice that you'd expect to hear, I think. There's some vocalists whose names crop up quite frequently, and, and the more artists that you know, like contact them, they show up in other people. So every time I hear like a unique, a unique right. Christine, Christine, who I'd love to work, Christine, if you're listening to this, we've been talking, we've talked a long time ago, but I would love to. Do yeah, something. there's Christine, Dana Jean, <laughs> right? Whenever I hear like a unique vocal, where I'm just like, no, this this lady's just on this one song, you know what I mean? Or I haven't heard mm-hmm. them pop right. in. And, it, and she actually did a, uh, she has an album coming out and she did a version of Love Will Make You Stay for her album. And it's so different because she wrote the lyrics to that. So she has rights to that song lyrics wise. And, and she just, she wrote a great arrangement for it. It's really awesome. It kind of sounds like America plays DAD. Nice. <laughs> uh, and it's, it has that kind of Ventura Highway sound to it mm-hmm. and like meets Fleetwood Mac. It's great. It's great. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Yeah. I don't even know when it's coming out. Well, that sounds cool. Yeah. I should have brought that up. I did um quote unquote special episode with Sunglasses Kid and Hoo-Ha and we were just sort of listening to a bunch of tracks we liked and I brought up 
the movie The Last Unicorn. Oh, yeah, classic. But I forgot to mention the soundtrack. Like, I was uh-huh. just like, here's a movie I liked when I was a kid. I don't even know why the hell I brought it up. But I used to love that that score by America, the just, you know, like the... I don't know where I'm going with this. I just say, the point is, <laughs> you said America, and now I'm saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, dude. I, I mean, Last Unicorn is a great movie and soundtrack. In fact, I want to rewatch that movie now that you're talking about it. I'm going to write it down. I still think it aged all right, and it's got some weird stuff in there. The only thing, like, Jeff Bridges' singing voice isn't great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the... It's in Crazy Heart, it's good. It matters what, what style. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at some of your tweets mm-hmm. and I did notice something funny and I know it's something that happens uh, to me as well that when you have a certain kind of Twitter name you end up getting funny related people trying to follow you so I'm just wondering if you have any of that stuff happening to you saying is your dad on there yeah a lot of dads follow me um, <laughs> a lot of dad related like a, da- a lot of dad advice blogs follow me like business dad <laughs> business dad and like ha- like family dad <laughs> i get a lot of that it's it's really funny actually sometimes i interact with them um but i mean 80s dad now that i think about it like 80s dad rather it, it's mm. a it's a hot commodity to have 80s dad on twitter like that that's ripe for like a comedian or something to like or someone to just yeah yeah have an 80s dad twitter but it's mine <laughs> You got to start writing some uh, some stand up material of the uh, oh god what eighties dad would say. <laughs> what would eighties dad say? You mentioned something about an ASMR wave project. Oh ASMR wave. <laughs> that was kind of a joke. What is that? Like I don't know what that Dude, is. ASMR is amazing. Auditory sensory meridian response or something like that. I, I think that's the term. It's you know when you're listening to something really relaxed. Here I'll, I'll do it. Okay, so I'm really close to the microphone right now. And you know, when you're listening to something and you can kind of hear all the intricacies of the person talking and their, and their lips coming together and it's really soft and quiet, people listen to this kind of thing to relax. Sometimes it's intentional, like people put this up on, on the internet for, for other people to listen to and to fall asleep. And other times it's unintentional, like a science video of someone talking about science. And that is, that doing... is what ASMR is. So that's what ASMR is. But it works, and it's you, and you, it's, you and just it's... did the uh, the the audio uh, equivalent of someone staring at you from really close. <laughs> yeah, you made me feel the exact same way I feel when someone's standing too close to me and they're just <laughs> looking at me right in the eyes, like for everything they say. It's very it's very fascinating. It's like when you get chills or when you get relaxed from certain sounds or um, voices, or you know maybe you get relaxed by someone uncrinkling like plastic i don't know it's it's very interesting to me so i was making that joke mine is page turning oh for sure yeah dude you could go on youtube and find a 30 minute page turning video that you could just listen to and enjoy it i just blew your mind like i just opened a door for you that is going to be amazing that's the way that the uh, like the djs talk when they do like classical music oh radio. my god totally yeah and npr like is so relaxing to listen to <laughs> I listen to that all day and I just get super like if I'm driving and I just I don't want to get out of the car because they're just talking so nicely. So <laughs> calm. On the construct, what uh, besides track number one, the fart, which uh, <laughs> which the fart which, dot dot dot. Yeah. Walk me through some of these. Tell me about uh, Inner Sphere Laser Games. Oh, so that the name from that comes from when I was in Amsterdam and I saw a building and I don't know what the building is and it was called uh, Inner Sphere Laser Games. 
So that's where I got that name. <laughs> and I still don't know what it is. I think it was Laser Tag. That's that's an old track. And I wanted to do something pretty blatantly Italo. Um, I love Italo disco. And I wanted to do something along the lines of um, like Koto or Hypnosis. Mm-hmm. For that, I was using this this Arturia. Do you play synthesizers? Yeah, I, I know some things. Okay, cool. Well, Arturia, this company, has like these amazing downloadable soft synths. Um, they do the Mini Moog, right? Is there like yeah, they do the, yeah, 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 and they do, and they have this 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 uh, Jupiter emulator. Okay, um, and I and I just used that for for this song, and I was super pumped with it. It was like fifty bucks, and yeah, of course it doesn't beat the hard synth, but I don't have the money and don't have the room, so yeah, it was good enough. I'm happy with that song. I just started opening my sets with that, and it's a lot of fun. It gets the crowd pumped. think of names first and then try and write music to the thing or do you just sort of like add a name when you're done the track i feel like it's after i'm done writing it i think sky high i think i knew i wanted to write a song that was reminding me of top gun and right. then i named it sky high and then but you know you never name your work files what your what the songs are actually like i'm sure you, you get an amazing compilation of of artists work file names that are just so far beyond what the actual titles come out to be for sure <laughs> yeah i've heard you talk about it on this show a couple of times what titles what imagery does, does do the titles evoke mm-hmm. and uh i definitely take that into consideration and i and the way i work uh even outside of dad just compositionally i do film music for a living i work with images and my brain works with images mm-hmm. and the hardest music that i've ever had to write was music that had not only no imagery to it you know a movie or a film or whatever that i'm working on but but had no nothing even in my head that I could like connect it to. Um, mm-hmm. My thesis piece at school was was something like that, and it was I. It took me eleven months to write an eight minute piece because I just it was so hard for me to connect it to something that would bolster my creative process. I guess. <laughs>
I was born in New York, and I was born in New York, and then w- grew up in L.A., and then I went to school in Chicago, and then moved back to L.A. Was your, you just had like a traveling family, or? No, I mean, I, I, my mom is in the television industry, and she moved out here when I was very young for her job. She was working for Comedy Central. Okay. And she came out here when I was four, and then, uh, you know, I wanted to go to college outside of L.A., so I went to, I, I wanted to go somewhere so different, and Chicago is just an amazing city. And everyone from LA, they go to New York. They all want to go to New York. And like, I, and I admitted I wanted to go to New York too. And then I realized, mm. you know, Chicago is an amazing place. Northwestern was great. And then I moved back here for my career. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's the reason why I'm, why I'm here. And I love LA, but, uh, you know, I think if I could live somewhere else and do what I want to do, I, I probably would. Mm-hmm. But I'm very happy now with where I'm at here. And it's a great city as well. And I, you know, it's my home. I'm experiencing sort of a, a wacky digital version of it with the GTA right now. Oh, I know. It's so accurate, though. It's so accurate. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like, if you came to LA, you would, I'm not, bring your GTA map and you would be able to get around. <laughs> it comes with a map, doesn't it? I don't oh, have yeah, the game yes. I'm yeah, forcing myself it. not to get it until I finish other things in my life, but. Oh, you're crazy. I know. <laughs> I know. It's very good. Yeah. I've seen of, it. I mean, you know, it's it's a stupid thing. Whenever there's certain games that come out, that are like, you know, you don't need to read the reviews. I mean, you... I know, of course, yeah. You know GTA is going to be good. I'm a big fan of, like, the Elder Scrolls series. It's like... For sure. They're they're always good. I mean... Of course. I'm a big gamer. I would love to do a soundtrack to a game. Whether it be a DAD soundtrack or just a Zach Robinson soundtrack, I would... That is a dream of mine, for sure, to, like, do do a game. Like, a big game. Video games are so interesting. Like, video games, in terms of music, are so much more ambitious than than films Mm -hmm. um, and are so much more willing to take risks, even with the score, even with the curation of music, like in GTA. Mm -hmm. But you have scores like... One of my favorite scores of all time, my favorite video game of all time, is Bioshock. Right. And the score to that is just unbelievably haunting and beautiful and avant and just interesting you you would never hear that like i think the closest thing to like a score like that in a movie is like there will be blood or something like that i mean in in like a mainstream movie right 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 and red dead redemption has this unbelievable like throwback morricone-esque like psychedelic western score and rockstar they really don't get enough i mean say they don't get enough credit all their games get 10 out of 10 but i mean like (laughs) in terms of the music in terms of the atmosphere they create in terms of like the sort of naturalistic performances they get from the actors like i mean with red dead redemption the score was fantastic the acting was so good like i've said this a couple times to people but like john marston like the main character from that game is my favorite main character of this generation of video games Mm -hmm. i just thought like the performance they got from that dude it just felt like such a wicked performance, and the end of that game is incredible. Yeah, God, they, I get like chills thinking about that game. It's so good. It pisses me off. I get mad at people because nobody beats it. Like nobody, everybody right, has the right. same story. I know. They stop yeah. playing the game in Mexico <laughs> when the game slowed yep. down, and I mm. everybody of all the games, I keep yelling at people. I'm just like, fucking go back <laughs> and yep. beat Red Dead Redemption because it's got the best ending from this whole generation. Like I love Seriously. the ending of that game. I know. It's such a beatable game. It's different than Skyrim. It's different than. Exactly. I mean, like, I love Elder Scrolls games to death, but I mean, their endings are inconsequential to just the experience of playing them. And of course, then they're never really delivered in a very cinematic way. It's just sort of like, well, you beat the dragon. I'll see you in Whiterun. I'm (laughs) I'm the Jarl. And then, you know, you just kind of walk away. And I guess that was the ending. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I know what you're saying. Like, I've been finding... With video games is the place where I'm finding some of the, the, the scores that are more melodic, 
Like, I've been having this talk with people, too, just because, like, you know, video game scores were going through this thing where they were trying to be like movies. And so a lot of the the, the scores were sort of more uh, to set a mood or ambience in the background. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, a lot of us, you know, and especially people in the scene who sort of look back to, you know, the 80s and the video game scores of that time. Right. Really had these melodies in their head. Melodies. And, it's and, all melodies. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I love. And so anytime yep. a score comes out where it's like clearly melody driven and, you know, Elder Scrolls has a great theme song. Totally. My favorite score, I think, from this gen so far was the one for that game Deus Ex. Oh, yeah. Human Revolution yeah. by Michael McCann. You know, I, I get a lot of, OK, I've never played that game, but a lot of people tell me that D.A.D. reminds them of that game. It was a good game. Definitely yeah. powered by the score. Like, the score was great. Okay, cool. And it's it's pretty cyberpunky, right? Yes. And so, you okay. know, it's yeah. big. Like, it's got big, like, orchestra kind of synths in it. Yeah. But it's also got these great tunes and just yeah. cool, like, arbigated things in the background. Like, it's really great. Yeah, I've got to check it out. And what the dudes did from Power Glove for um, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. Right. That was awesome. That was so good. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's really cool that, like, these game makers and creatives are, you know, looking into the this community and and finding talent like that yeah i'm just saying just hopefully that people don't get taken advantage of yep i i completely agree because i think like this community is full of some very very like legitimately talented people yeah which you know is what inspired me to do this in the first place because it was very different than like i've just been blown away by the quality and I think that this stuff deserves to be in games and deserves to be game scores. And I just don't want to see anybody like, you know, like some big company goes like, yeah, totally. we'll, get, we'll give yeah. you a hundred bucks to use your album. And then, of course, everyone's yes, people watch out, own your music, or if you can, at least own the, the licensing to it. for a composer okay and for a film composer and then in our studio there's another film composer and he used love will make you stay in a temp he was temping a movie to give to the director and say this is the kind of thing that we should do and the director was saying like he put time after time by cindy lopper um mm-hmm. in this scene and i think that uh mark who's this composer he wanted to to do something else so he put love will make you stay it was so interesting how cheesy it was but how appropriate. Right. And when I say, when I say like, it's, it's really cool when filmmakers do ambitious things. Mm-hmm. I think it's because the audience actually will respond to something like that, even if it's, if it's quote unquote cheesy. And I think cheesy is so stupid. Like I can go off on what cheesy is. I, I shut down if I see that people aren't trying new things, even in genres where, you know, you're, there's a predictable outcome or, you know, it's sci-fi, like you, you know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. But there's part of me that 
you know, you, you want to see them push, even if it's just a little bit. And sometimes it's all about the score. Sometimes there are some movie scores that are just so safe. You know, right. you, you watch the movie. and That's the way a lot of people do it. And it's, it's really hard for um, composers to find that counterpart in the director. You know, it's, it's trust. It's, it's saying like, you know, trust me for the composer to say, you know, I, I trust the director that they know what kind of music I can create and what, how I can help them and how I can make this film better for them. And then it's the director saying, I trust the composer for creating something that is going to do this. And, and, and having that working relationship is really important. And a lot of people, I think, don't have that. And there's so many voices in movie making and video game making. And it's, you know, it's hard to please everyone. And it's obviously I understand that like the new Robocop movie is not going to have any yeah. soundtrack, <laughs> but would be unbelievable if it did. For good reasons. Exactly. I, I mean, there was a big, you know, thread up on the, uh, in the synthetics about people going off about how terrible the new RoboCop's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I sort of chimed in. My comment is, I don't think the movie's going to be terrible, but I don't think it's going to be remarkable. Yeah. It will be, if you're going to give it a rating out of 10 right now, I can tell you it's going to be a 6, maybe a 6.5, you know, like it's going to... It's going to have some cool moments. Yeah. And it's going to have some lows. It's not going to be special. It's clear. It, you, you already know it's not going to have a score that's going to be cool. It's going to be like just. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. going to hit all the beats it needs to hit. You, you can just sort of see those things when you see the trailer. But maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised, you know? I have a friend who worked on it, the Robocop. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I respect their NDAs they sign. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to be surprised by what okay. happens. <laughs> I'll okay. just say that. But it, hey, like when I saw the trailer, I thought the trailer looked cool. But then uh -huh. I knew what they were going to do with this film, that Robocop is going to be a superhero, basically. He's going to, he's you know, you're going to see him super right. jump and you're right. going to see him right. fly around and stuff. And it's going to be like, you know. Right. Lately in movies, there haven't been a lot of movie scores that have really uh, got me as excited as, you know, some of the ones when, when we were younger and, and they were just more cool tunes to them right whether it be you know right. like back to the few or the original robocop which has an amazing, amazing score which actually annoys me that i went back and watched robocop 2 the other day mm -hmm. and even though i think robocop 2 is all right they don't play the score they don't play the robocop score in it yeah this movie would be like a whole like point better if they just played the dun, 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 at key moments in the film yeah. uh -huh. or like when they made terminator 3 i had a discussion with that about uh, about that with someone with Star Trek and they how they were complaining about how Michael Giacchino doesn't use the theme, the, the original, like, dun, 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 mm -hmm. dun, dun, dun. and I was like, I love that. It's a different story. And he uses it at the end when it all comes together. And that's that's amazing. The payoff is unbelievable that you right. get you get to hear, I and I like the music to the new Star Trek and like I like the theme. And then you get, you're waiting for that end when they're all in the Enterprise and they're like about to go into to, um you know, hyper hyperspeed or whatever, and like that's, and then you just hear bum, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that payoff it makes the entire movie for me. I think it depends on, like you say. I mean, with Star Trek, it is a different thing. Whereas when you are doing something that's like a continuation, that's true. You're right. Sometimes I'm a little annoyed at the boldness of a director who thinks like that their vision is like more important than like the overall tone that's been set by its predecessors. You know, like if I joined like as a director doing like Harry Potter seven, I'm not going to be the guy who walks in and goes, yeah, maybe let's not play the Harry Potter theme in this one. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> dude, I do that voice too for when I, when I do that, <laughs> <laughs> I do that. Oh, you know, I don't want Harry Potter theme in this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And when Terminator yeah. three, 
It was like, there's some movies that would just benefit from, just play the fucking song. Right. The fourth Terminator, they didn't do it at all. All they did right, was... Right, well, they did they it did when the, they had the CGI Arnold. Yeah, they did the beat. They just did yeah. the... Yeah. Right, they did boom, 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 boom. Okay, right. Terminator 3, they did do the song at the closing credits. Oh, bummer. I mean, Terminator 3 is not a good film, but I mean, like, you know, every Terminator movie's got kind of like these big opening credits, and then like part three comes out, and it's like a television show where it's just writing like, directed by, like at the bottom of the screen, over top of the action. You know, mm-hmm. like, you, and it just totally. looked like a TV show, and they didn't play the song, and I was like, what the... F-? Anyway. Yeah. That's right. a... <laughs> this is great stuff. I could make a career out of this guy. You see how clever this part is? How it doesn't require a shred of proof? And most paranoid delusions are intricate, but this is brilliant. You've also supplied your guitaring skills to a bunch of other artists in the scene. Actually, maybe not that many. Now that you mention, I'm thinking this, like, Future Cop and, and Sunglasses Kid. You know, it's cool that, like, on, on Sunglasses Kid track, it's featuring D.A.D., and whereas, you know, I'm not a singer like the other collaborators on that album, then my voice is the guitar, which is cool. That being said, I would love to collaborate with more people. I just, again, I'm, I'm so, I get super bad about I mean, you can even ask Ed. I was just, like, so bad about sending stuff over. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, that's probably a common thread amongst yeah. the scene in general. Like, I see a lot I admit of... it. <laughs> a lot of people seem to be slow to uh, to deliver the the stuff but mm-hmm. when it all comes together it's pretty awesome thank you you've played shows with a bunch of people though some guys called ghost house oh yeah yeah I used to play with ghost house i forgot about ghost jeez i've never heard of them until i i saw your link and uh so what's the deal with those guys so they're in chicago and i said they're awesome dudes miami nice 1984 did a remix for them and I was like, wait, they're in Chicago and Mike did a remix for them. Like, I got to hit them up. So I did. And I was in school at the time. And we, I went and just ended up. Jam- okay, so I did. I played guitar for them. I, I don't know why I just drew a blank. But yeah, I did a track with them called Money, which is awesome. I don't know if it's on the, I think it is on SoundCloud. And I loved playing on that. That is like straight, like just Van Halen style guitar, which I love playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played, we played a couple shows together live. We played with Electric Youth in Chicago. We played at with Kinky. They're a Mexican kind of electro pop band, really talented, like nine people in the band. But again, that is also a long distance relationship thing that, you know, I, I see them when I go to Chicago and if we, we can play a show together, you know, I've wanted them to come out to LA so we could play. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's tough when you're not in the same city, but they're great. They're awesome. I would tell everyone to, and they're not really in the synthetics kind of scene, but Rick Shadehouse did a, did a couple of blog posts on them. Super cool stuff. It's really, really cool. I love Ghost House. <laughs> I just love <laughs> that he's called Rick Shithouse. Rick Shithouse, I know. I, I very Thanks, rarely, Rick. I rarely say the Shithouse part when I talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Shithouse. It's a great name. It's amazing. <laughs> what is uh, what is Dracula Mountain? Oh man, you dug deep, dude. So Dracula Mountain was my metal band in high school. Video game inspired, melodic metal instrumental. And uh, we played a bunch of shows, and I missed track them out a lot. It was one of my favorite projects that I've ever done. And cool. um, we we all just separated. Um, everyone's doing their because we all went to college, and we're all doing our own thing. Um, and uh, do you know Anamanaguchi? Do you know the band? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Luke, uh, the drummer of Anamanaguchi, was the drummer in Dracula Mountain, and he is one of my good friends. And I used to have these back shows. I mean, these back these shows in my back house. And Anamanaguchi came, and they didn't have a drummer. And Luke was, and Dracula Mountain was opening up for Anamanaguchi at my house. And uh, nice. Luke was like, "I know all your songs." 
and he played with them, and the rest is history. It's their track that's the theme song to like the Nerdist podcast. Nerdist. Yeah, to Nerdist. And they did a great uh, game score for uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yep, it's, game. they've yeah. been, and they're amazing, amazing people, and they're so supportive of of all their friends and and my music in particular. And I open for them, and their their crowds are amazing too. Like I've gotten a lot of fans from from playing shows with them. Cool. Um, it's a lot of fun. They're great guys. Yeah. You cited Ray Bradbury as an inspiration. I love science fiction mm. and so much of my music and anything I create is just, uh, I love, I love old science fiction. I love cyberpunk. I love like, I mean, the construct is named after um, what they call essentially the internet in Neuromancer by uh, William Gibson. Mm. And they, they call it the construct and that's where I got it from. And I mean, so many of the the names are are references to to science fiction things, and and for some reason, I just I've always clicked with it, and I love retro futurism as much as I love eighties stuff. I love like fifties visions of the future. Right, right. It marks this like unbelievable milestone in like innovation and thought, and um, I love like the futurology stuff that's going on now, and it's, it's because it's all like coming true. It's it honestly is like. All that stuff is like actually going to happen. I guess that sort of explains the Bioshock thing, then, right? Oh my god! Yeah, like you totally. like those games where they take like this. Totally. I guess Fallout did it as well, right? Where they Fallout sort of take did it that, too. Yeah. yeah, Fallout did it too. I love that aesthetic. I love Art Deco, and uh, yeah, Ray Bradbury's amazing. Yeah, no, science fiction in every aspect, really. And I think my dream, the dream, would be to do like a big science fiction movie. You know, like Gravity. You know, yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be like the dream like a smart, really innovative science fiction movie. The ultimate DAD project that I that I would love is to do DAD with an orchestra. Mm. And I've had really close opportunities to, to make, like opportunities that have come really close to, to making that actually happen. And it, and it kind of fell through. Um, but I think that that is, that is really what I would love to do to really experiment with the DAD sound and have these two worlds that I work a lot with um, come together. And I think a lot of the songs on the construct would have been awesome with orchestra. And I don't think anyone's done that. Definitely not in, in this new wave of uh, synth music. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the dream. And I, I got to get an orchestra. I guess that's going to be a, a little bit more work than just trying to get a couple bandmates together, right? Like you've got your work cut out for you. But at the same time, I wonder if it's a little easier because I still have control over everything. <laughs> I still can like just write everything out. I can just have everything and then you just put it in front of these musicians and then they can just do it. It's, you know, there's no discussion necessarily. Do you envision yourself as the conductor of this thing? No, I can't conduct. I'm like not good at it. I get really nervous and sweaty and shaky. <laughs> I conducted in school a little bit, but I think there's going to be some opportunities in the future uh, with some of the film stuff that I do that will call for that. And I'm, I'm waiting for that day and it may be sooner than I think, but it's still going to be a little bit. You should conduct with your guitar, get in front of the orchestra and like, that's, that's what would happen. Tell them to watch the point at the end of the guitar or whatever, you know? And then like, <laughs> just like, I would definitely go up there and shred with them. Yeah. Are you kidding? Like, oh my God, shredding with an orchestra is on my bucket list. I don't <laughs> it's like literally going to space is the top thing on my bucket list. And then, and then <laughs> shredding um, with an orchestra. Shredding with an orchestra. <laughs> Dude, quick anecdote before we depart. But this is, this is what I just talked about. Um, 
Okay, so I worked on the movie Frozen, which is coming out on Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, it's the new Disney animated princess movie. So it's not, uh, I was just about to say, is that the movie where the three people get trapped on the chairlift? That is Frozen, but this is a different Frozen. It's a <laughs> it's a family film. The trailer just came out. Like, you'll start seeing a lot of promo for it. Okay. I mean, it's a Disney movie. It's a princess, Disney princess movie. And there's one cue that I was helping my boss work on. And um, I was in the studio late one night. And I just had finished working on the queue and I uh, picked up my guitar and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to shred over this queue and just leave it for my boss to listen to later in the night. Yeah. So I literally, I, I picked up the guitar and recorded like four tracks of just shredding guitar harmonies over <laughs> this like orchestral, beautiful Disney track. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell anyone. And my boss came in like early that morning and we had a playback where you show the directors the music and, and they <laughs> you know, do that. So... My boss comes in that morning. He hears it. He's like, loves it. He loves it, which is like funny. I just thought he was going to chuckle. But he was like, I'm showing this to the directors in the movie. Nice. So he showed it to the directors after showing them the original. And then he was like, I have to show you other some something else. And it's again, this is just literally if you heard this in the movie theater, like you would just be like, what? Like it's it is me ripping a solo over this orchestral thing. And they loved it. Awesome. And then and there was talk, but then there was talk of it was joke talk, but it had this like five percent worth of seriousness mm-hmm. of putting it on some like bonus CD, um, right? Which right. is not gonna happen. But the fact that it even <laughs> got that far is unbelievable to me. Oh, that's awesome, like, man! Yeah, so that was super. It's just super funny. Yeah. So that's the closest <laughs> I've gotten to shredding with an orchestra, but that will happen one day. good talking to you yeah great to do this a lot of fun people should pick up the construct which is actually that that is under rosso corsa right Mm -hmm. it's on rosso corsa Bandcamp and itunes and amazon can i ask you a question sure what uh (laughs) i'm the worst interviewer ever like an hour in (laughs) an hour in can i ask a question yeah i don't know if that's the whole point of me being here right now in terms of sales yeah. What's the best place for someone to buy your music for you? Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Okay. Bandcamp. When you're when you're on the Bandcamp, you're supporting me. You're supporting Rosa Corsa more so than you would be, I would say. But you know, like anything is, anything is possible. Oh, you know what? I almost forgot to say this, and and uh, you know, I actually don't know if it's appropriate for me to say this yet. But by the time the interview comes out, I think it'll be announced. But the construct is going to be available on cassette and CD, physical CD. Oh, cool. Through a different record label, Houseu Mountain which is uh, two of the dudes who are, who are in the Earth as a Man run Housey Mountain. It's kind of experimental record label, and they do a lot of cassette releases. So, yeah, it's going to be on cassette for purchase and for CD 
on on CD, not vinyl yet, but um, I'm so excited to hear how it sounds on a cassette. It's yeah, really, yeah, yeah, really interesting. Well, dude, I hope to uh, I hope to come up to Toronto at some point. Um, I've always wanted to get there, and yeah, I would love to. So if I ever come up there, I will I will let you know. Well, that'd be awesome, dude. We can do like a in person catch up. Not right. many people. And, and dude, this this orchestral thing that almost happened almost happened in Toronto. It was a Toronto thing. Oh, really? Yeah, it was for a uh, Nuit Blanche, I think. Is that okay, yeah, yeah, totally yeah, yeah. Murdering that. Um, it was, it was, and I had been talking to some people about it, and then it just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. I have no idea what happened to it, but it was going to be it for that festival, or it was going to have some affiliation. Yeah, Nuit Blanche is like sort of a all arts, around, all around right, the city right, arts right, thing. People sure. like open their doors, and sounds amazing. Of- I would love to go to that in general. Like that just sounds so cool. Yeah, I think it's a cool thing. I'm one of those people who like, even though I live here. I pretty much Never just, <laughs> yeah, I'm always just inside. So whenever people like yeah. come to the city and go like, oh, what, what's something to do here? I'm like, I don't know, CN Tower? I mean, I was yeah. just going to, I was just going to suggest right. we sit down and play Call of Duty. I didn't really have enough plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I know what we can do if I, if I come. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, it was good talking right. and you uh, take care and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Alrighty, that was Zach Robinson, a.k.a. D.A.D. I hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, tune in to the next one. Alright guys, take care.